Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Thanks so much for being with us, everybody. Good Tuesday to you. So good to be here. Always a thrill. Damon Amendolara, DA in for Jim. Did the show yesterday. We'll do it today and tomorrow. And it's great to, to be here, actually, to do three hours where the clones just trash all the takes instead of just doing two to four minutes of a a smack off call and only that being what the clones can go scorched earth on you know that's just not a lot of content for them and so now i'm giving you three hours every day that you can pick apart and and trash so it's you know you always feel like when you fill in for jim if you can do it here you can do it anywhere if you could block out the noise it's it's much like playing in philadelphia you just know if I can if I can somehow do this, everything else is like, you know, playing on the road and and much easier environment. So I love it. And coming up this hour here on the show, the NFL executives have spoken on the best quarterbacks in the NFL and We'll decide whether or not these guys know anything about football because they are employed to do so. And in 40 minutes, the ultimate Hollywood moment that I had that I can only compare to something like an incredible trade deadline deal. We'll do that coming up this hour as well. But I want to start with college football realignment because this is the earth moving under our feet for college athletics and the assumption that we are gaining steam or already at the finish line of two super conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC. And they will collect all of the power and they will distribute it as they see fit. And so once UCLA and USC left for the Big Ten, most people assumed the the arms race was on yet again and it was going to be the SEC that grabbed the next schools. In fact, a former SEC head coach said exactly that. Not long ago, just last week or so, former Georgia head coach Jim Donnan believed that we are absolutely headed towards the Big Ten of the SEC going to 20-team leagues. Donnan said, what we're going towards, the only thing I'll tell you about this is that it's a sure thing They are going to be two 20-team conferences between the Big Ten and the SEC. This is what a former Georgia head coach said. He said, Miami, Florida State, Clemson, and UNC are going to be in the SEC pretty quick. North Carolina's basketball helps them a lot. But those four teams are going to be coming in here to go along with maybe four or a couple of more from the West Coast. Oh, wow. Okay. Former... Georgia head coach saying Miami, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina coming to the SEC. We're at 16. We can go to 20. That's the 20. And maybe even the West Coast. Maybe you pluck an Oregon. Maybe you pluck a Washington. Wow. Okay. That's a big deal. That seems certain. That seems a guarantee. That makes sense. They're going towards this Death Star that has its tentacles and just about everything. And then... After you hear the reactionary former head coach, then you get a quote yesterday from an actual athletic director. 
Now, this is an unnamed SEC AD that was speaking to the website Saturday Down South. But the AD said, we're positioned at 16 teams for a robust future. The need to expand just isn't there. Hmm. Now, this is an AD. These would be the actual decision makers. You have the former football coach, we're getting everybody. I can guarantee it. We're moving quick. We got this team. We got that team. We might get West Coast teams. Clemson, Florida State, Miami, UNC. We got them. We're going out West. We're coming out East. We're coming into your town. SEC. And then an actual decision maker is going, no, we're actually pretty good. Now, you might say, well, well, why the disconnect here? And that's because the reality of the SEC situation doesn't fit with our narrative of you just gobble up all the properties because that's what makes you rich. Here's why. They're rich already. You want to know why we don't have our professional sports leagues just continue to expand at a crazy rate? Why we don't go from 26 to 28 to 32 to 34 to 36 to 42 teams because there's plenty of billionaires that would pay right now to be in the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, or the NBA. Right now, canvas the country or the world. Will you drop $5 billion today to be inside the NFL or to be in the NBA? And they'd get 10 guys right right now. Yes. Where do you need it? And that would make you tons of money, right? But rich guys don't like to share. They're not into sharing. That's why they're rich. And the SEC is really rich and really powerful. And those 16 rich guys don't want to share the wealth. Remember, they've got their deal. ESPN ABC gave them a 10-year deal, which will start in two years. And they'll make... $300 million a year from that. Over 10 years, that's a $3 billion deal. They got 16 schools now after they added Texas and Oklahoma. Those 16 schools don't want to share it amongst 20 schools. That dollar amount set. They make $300 million a year. They don't want to share that, and they don't need to share it. That's the thing. People just assume, well, in this arms race, you just collect all the properties. What does the SEC need Miami for? They're not even good at football. (laughs) Why do they need Florida State? Again, they're not even good at football anymore. Well, Clemson's great. No offense. I've been to Clemson. It ain't a market. It's a town. And yes, you might get some of the state of South Carolina. But guess what the SEC is not doing? We need Charleston on our map. They got South Carolina. The Gamecocks exist there. Clemson is an amazing football school. But it is not a necessary brand for the SEC to share money with. Oklahoma and Texas, man, that goes back a century. You have an entire state that you collect. And when you get Texas... You get Dallas, and you get Houston, and you get San Antonio, and you get the state in our country with the most or close to the most electoral votes every four years. That's how many people are in that state you get. We'll take that. We have Texas A&M, and now Texas. We'll take it all. 
they don't need those other schools and they don't want to share with those other schools. And this is the amazing thing about timing. If you were to ask the SEC if they would like Miami in 1994, hell yeah, we get Miami? Yeah, that sounds great to us. Florida State in 1994? Absolutely, sign me up. Today, the Florida State of Miami brand has been so down for so long, it doesn't feel like a necessity to add if you could. Now, Florida State did win a national championship not long ago with Jameis Winston and Jimbo Fisher, but my God, it feels like long ago. And by the time you actually add Florida State, or they're in your conference three or four or five years from now, how much further are we away from that feeling relevant? Jameis might not even be in the league anymore by the time that Florida State would get into your conference. Feels like a long time ago. FSU and Miami do bring a great state and market value and history. But they haven't been good in so long that they've killed their hopes right now of being a no-brainer. Not saying it can't happen, but in terms of no-brainer, it's why the SEC doesn't need to make a move right now. They're good, thanks. We're rich. We have houses overlooking the ocean. We have a yacht. We have a vacation home. We're just fine. We don't need anybody else. And the other bit about this is the SEC holds the cards on Notre Dame, and Notre Dame holds the cards on everybody else. Here's why the SEC is in the power position. If the Notre Dame Fighting Irish alumni, administration, power brokers believe that independence is what they really want. We just want to do our own thing. We don't want to be latched onto a conference. We want to make our own schedule, have our own television deal. The SEC can support that and make that what always exists. Make that a lifetime deal. Because the SEC, who's going to pull the trigger on whatever we have as a college football playoff scenario, can say, you know what? Notre Dame is a path in. We won't hold it against you. You don't have to be affiliated. Don't worry. Stay independent. Why would the SEC say that? So that they don't go to the Big Ten. If the SEC greases the skids for Notre Dame to stay independent and not join the Big Ten, there's no reason for Notre Dame to do anything. The only reason they would join a conference is if they felt there's no way to get into a playoff. If the SEC says, no, we'll always let you to the playoff. It's fine. We'll kick your ass every January in the semifinal. We don't mind. We're not afraid. Alabama, LSU, whoever. Georgia. Yeah, come on in. We don't mind winning 38-13 every January. Oh, yeah, it's great. No, the... The game gets great numbers on TV. TV partners are happy. We sell out the stadium and we kick your ass by 28 points every January. It's great. We love that deal. If the SEC keeps saying, oh, you're invited, it's great. It's like the guy that always brings beer to the party. Yeah, come on. It's great. Yeah, you're no fun. You know, who cares? It's fine. You always bring the beer. As long as they keep letting Notre Dame bring the beer, Notre Dame doesn't want to join a conference. They just want to invite to the party. Can we come? Can we come? Can we? Yeah, you're always invited. 
Open, open invitation. Yes, you can crash here too. That's great. So get the good stuff. And we're going to need a 36 pack this time around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it. Okay, yeah. yeah crash in the den. It's a pullout over there. Oh, yeah. You'll love it. Bring the good stuff though. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. If they always let Notre Dame get invited to the party, Notre Dame doesn't want to join the affiliation and thus won't join the Big Ten. And thus the SEC goes, well, we can just keep all our money. 16 teams, $3 billion cut 16 ways makes more money than $16 billion, $3 billion cut 18 ways or 20 ways or 24 ways. So right now, while people assume, oh my gosh, Who's going to do what next? Who's going to grab what next? The SEC holds the cards in everything just holding, in a holding pattern. Now, the power is going to be when they finally do restructure what the playoff is, and the SEC goes, yeah, that whole automatic qualifier thing, eh, I don't know. I don't know about that. ACC, I don't know we need you. and Pac-12, I don't think we need you. And the Big 12, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're really, really good, we'll think about it. It's like Cincinnati. If you guys are really awesome, maybe we'll think about it. So the automatic qualifier could be off the table for some of these conferences. But if the SEC goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no, everybody's invited. We just decide who we get to invite. Then we just might be in a stalemate here. Because as this AD is saying, we just don't need to add anybody right now. Who's out there? We don't need any of these schools. We we certainly don't need Florida State. They're not very good. We don't need Miami. They haven't been very good for a really long time. We don't need North Carolina because we don't really care about basketball anyway. And Clemson, yeah, you guys are good, but we're good too. So, yeah, it's fine. We're good. We're okay. There's this kind of great rush to... Divide up the pie. Who goes where? Who? And that might not be the way that it works. Now, if you're the Big 12, if you're the Pac-12, you are terrified because you are worried about the vultures picking you apart. But right now, it's like a horror movie where you're waiting for the killer to turn around the corner, but you just keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's the, the terror of potentially being murdered that you are haunted by, not actually being murdered. And I think that's the reality of of what's happening right now. I don't think there's a next quick move. Now, unless the Pac-12 or the Big 12 say, we have to get together today, these have to be the, the merger conferences because we're our television rights are up, and so we need to band together. That might happen. But in terms of the Big 10 and the SEC, man, both those conferences are rich. They're the power brokers. They don't really need to do this and share their money. And what we are learning is they don't want to share their money unless you're a guarantee. And UCLA and USC guaranteed them Los Angeles. That guarantees the Big Ten Los Angeles. And that's all that they wanted. You think they care about UCLA football? Of course not. They just want to make sure they have Los Angeles, the number two market of the country. Why do they add Rutgers? Because Rutgers ostensibly is the number one market of the country. New Jersey connecting with New York City, even though I'm from New York and ain't nobody in New York City care about Rutgers football. They can argue 
to their television partners. Well, we bring in New York, and now we bring in L.A., and we had Chicago already because of all the Big Ten ties there. So we bring you one, two, and three, the top three markets of the country. But these, once you have divvied up the really high-end properties, they go, and now we have all the power and all the money, and we don't want to share it. And Notre Dame, just keep bringing the beer. You're awesome. Hit me up on Twitter, DA on CBS, or at Jim Rome on Twitter as well. Also, emails coming in, rome at habitake.com. Coming up here on the show, the NFL executives have spoken. GMs, personnel directors, etc. And they have ranked the top quarterbacks in the NFL 1 through 10. Did they get the list right? And a year from now, who elbows their way into that list? I am looking to pull the trigger on the ultimate Wisconsin double dip coming up this fall. Bucket list item I've always wanted to do. A Badgers game on a Saturday. Lambeau on a Sunday. It only happens once a season, maybe twice a season. This year, it is happening. There's an early October Saturday against Illinois at Camp Randall, then a Sunday against the Patriots at Lambeau. And I'm doing everything in my power to pull the trigger to make this thing happen. And so if this happens, you will watch me post just as many pictures as Jim does about Wisconsin. But mine will be filled with far more beer and meat and cheese. Jim is an Adonis when it comes to his health. He likes to eat well, but damn, he's got such discipline. And I'm sure I would just be face down at a puddle of Miller Lite, Cheese Whiz, and Bratwurst. He looks like a Adonis. Adonis! He looks like a Adonis. Just about every day. I will keep everybody appraised of that situation on both Twitter, DA on CBS, and on Instagram, at Damon Amendo. So, the NFL executives, coaches, scouts, and players, there's about 50 of them, ranked players in each position of the NFL. And the quarterback list is the one that obviously has made the most noise. And you might say, uh, you know what, there's going to be some politics involved here. You know, they're too close to the situation. There's always going to be a mess up. But I have to say, I was hoping to tear apart this list. And I thought, ah, you know what? I think they got it. Which makes me wonder if actually we as sports fans are not as stupid as they think we are. Because I looked at this list and said, yeah, that's about right. I can't really argue too much about this list. The number one ranked quarterback in the NFL right now by executives, coaches, scouts, and players, Aaron Rodgers. Hard to argue. Playing at an elite level, even though it doesn't translate into the postseason, playing at an elite level. Mahomes at two. Got it. Three, Josh Allen instead of Tom Brady. Okay, maybe you could quibble, but... Hard to argue that Josh Allen isn't a top three or four quarterback in the NFL. They put Brady at four. Josh Allen's 25 years old. Tom Brady's 44 years old. So maybe some of this is a projection of what this year will be. Again, I can't scream bloody murder about that. They put Joe Burrow at five. Hard to argue. 
after what we saw last season and how he played in the postseason and how he led that team, and if he has a split second longer on that final play that Aaron Donald does not get to him in time, he very may well be the Super Bowl champion and MVP this year. At five, no problems there. I do have an argument with Matthew Stafford at six, but then they go Herbert seven, Russell Wilson eight, Deshaun Watson nine, Dak ten. My argument here would be Stafford is benefiting from winning a Super Bowl. Now, I just said if Joe Burrow had won a Super Bowl, he would deserve all of the praise. My point is that if Matthew Stafford doesn't win that game, and I know that's a big if, but if he doesn't win that game, I don't think league executives today are putting him at number six in the NFL. I think that is clearly a reflection of what just happened. And I don't think Matthew Stafford is the sixth best quarterback in the NFL today. But again, am I going to go crazy about this? Not really. Some of this is recency bias. The only thing I would argue here is that Lamar Jackson deserves to be in the top 10. And I would swap out Dak and put in Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson's been an NFL MVP. He has led his team to the postseason multiple times. And he really helped piece that entire franchise together last year when they had a rash of injuries, even preseason, to keep them competitive and in the race up until December when he then got injured and the whole thing fell apart. Jackson. So Lamar Jackson is hurt by the final five games not playing, and Matthew Stafford's elevated because he played in the final five games, and really it should be a bigger snapshot on both of them. So Lamar should be in here, and Stafford should not be at six. He should be dropped down a little bit. That's unbelievable! Other than that, I mean, look, I'd quibble with if you're going to be a top six quarterback in the NFL, I need you to help the photographer that falls off the stage in front of you. That's pretty awesome. I think when the photog falls off that stage, Rodgers, Mahomes, Allen, Brady, Burrow reach and help instead of taking a swig of water, turn around and go, oh. Congratulations. Not my problem. Glad it wasn't me. First time in the history that's happened. Hate to be you. Other than that, I don't have much, much quibbles here. My question, though, was... Out of this group, these top 10, which quarterback next year, a year from now, cracks into this list that we don't see on this list right now? Because these are the established guys. These are the guys that have been around for a good long time. We know these names. We've seen them play in big games. Rodgers, Mahomes, Allen, Brady, Burrow, Stafford, Herbert to a lesser degree, Wilson, Watson, Prescott, Lamar, as I said. There's got to be a young guy that makes this next leap. There's got to be. And could it be Trey Lance in San Francisco? Surrounded by a great supporting cast, but we haven't even seen him really on the football field, so it can't really be him. Justin Fields? Hard to imagine him becoming a top 10 quarterback right away? Trevor Lawrence? Well, Trevor certainly has the tools, and most of us would have expected Trevor Lawrence to be on this list at some point in his career. I still expect that. But coming off a two-win season, three-win season, can you imagine him one year from now being already a top-10 QB? Maybe a little bit early for him, although one day he's going to get there. 
Zach Wilson's had himself an offseason. As we said yesterday, if you are willing to look into the eyes of your mom's best friend and potentially be denied making things really awkward and win the challenge, maybe you are a top 10 quarterback. If Zach Wilson can walk into a room with just his mom's BFF there, been like, Nancy, I've been looking at you for a long time. Ever since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. And I like what you bring to the table. Remember those orange slices to soccer? Remember that apple pie you brought to Thanksgiving? Remember how we used to watch SpongeBob together? I like what you bring to the table, Nancy. And I think you'd like what I bring to the table nowadays now that I'm all grown up. If he can pull off this, then it is hard to argue that he does not have the potential to get to that next level as an NFL quarterback. I would say one veteran guy here that we should keep an eye on is Derek Carr. Because Carr now has weapons. Devontae Adams is a huge one. Darren Waller is a great tight end. The Raiders now have an offensive-minded head coach and Josh McDaniels, who hopefully for Raiders fans pushes him to the next level. And Derek Carr, let's just say he goes on a bit of a run here. Let's say they make the playoffs. Maybe they'll win the division. They go on a postseason run. They win a couple of playoff games. Carr has a couple of big, big games and gets them to, say, an AFC championship game. And the Raiders feel like, okay, now we finally have unlocked the best of Derek Carr. Maybe Carr, then, is a guy that elbows his way into this top 10 list. I think Dak Prescott is a guy that you could easily pull off of this list. That Dak has been dynamic at times, but, and this is unfortunate, not, I think, his fault, Dak's injury may have reworked how great Dak can really be. The Dak is now just a little bit of a lesser version of himself after the injury. To me, there were a number of times last year where he seemed uncomfortable in the pocket. And certainly, early going to that playoff game, you're wondering where the hell is Dak Prescott? Why is he playing so poorly? Maybe that comes with experience, developing some type of confidence in the rehab and where your leg is in your game. But I have a feeling that off of this list, Dak's not going to be on it and somebody's going to to get in there instead of him. And also, if Brady retires after the season, it opens up that spot as well, that there's going to be two or three different names on this top 10 list a year from now. And it's interesting to think about who those QBs would be today. <laughs> now, on that point, because again, these PR companies and my email lists know truly who I am in my very heart. I've been emailed a list of the top 10 fattest cities in America. Fat. Again, either they know exactly who I am at my most pure, or they know exactly how I run the show. And they have sent me a list of my the fattest cities in America. Fat. Coming up after the break, I want to do a little Connect Four on this. Connecting 
quarterbacks and the fattest cities. You'll see what I mean coming up here next. And a very special Hollywood moment that could only happen here in Southern California. I just went over this list of the top 10 quarterbacks as voted on by NFL executives, GMs, coaches, scouts, players, etc. And simultaneously, I got an email to my inbox earlier today about America's fittest and fattest cities. Now, fittest. Okay. Fit. Oh, Madison, Wisconsin, so fit. College campus, bunch of young people running around, beautiful tree-lined streets. Seattle, fit. Oh, bunch of coffee drinkers and tech kids running around, biking all the time. All right, fine. I want fattest. Who's the fattest, fattest cities? So I'm looking at this list, and something strikes me as I also was looking over perusing the top 10 quarterbacks list. And that is there's a pretty painful connection here. Because the way I see it, five of the fattest, unhealthiest cities are also five of the cities with the most heartbreak quarterback-wise. Number five, Toledo. Only an hour, 45 minutes from Cleveland. That's northern Ohio. If you've been watching Browns quarterbacking for a while, you too would stuff your face every Sunday to feel better. And then every Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, until you had to do it again on Sunday, you would not have the energy to go out and exercise. Number four, Detroit. Again, if you've been watching Lions quarterbacking for a long time, including Matthew Stafford, there's reason to eat into oblivion. Number three, Memphis, which on Sundays usually gets the Titans game, which again, Ryan Tannehill might be better than what had been previous there. The Marcus Mariota, Kerry Collins, what's next roller coaster of Titans football. But again, you need a lot of Nashville hot chicken if you were watching Titans quarterbacking, especially a Tannehill three interception special as the one seed in the playoffs. Number two, Indianapolis. Who had more depressing quarterback play than the Colts last year when you were watching a guy in Carson Wentz that should be so much better than he is go from potential NFL MVP to you can't even beat the Jaguars in a win-and-in game. That me. And then the number one fattest city, actually Las Vegas, who has mediocre quarterbacking, but has a lot of unhealthy people that storm through those doors every day at McCarran International. So, you know what, you know, it might not just be about depressed Raider fans it might just be about watching those slots get pulled. You're like, ooh, that doesn't look like that's much fun carrying that, that around. Okay, so I'm in Southern California for the first time for an extended amount of time in my entire life. I've, I've come through L.A. before, but as a New Yorker, it's rare for me to get to Los Angeles. And so I said, if I'm going to do L.A. for five days, three of them filling in for Jim's show, I want to do some L.A. things. So I got to a Dodger game on Saturday, going to the Angels game tonight. And on Sunday night, I said, boy, 
I've always loved stand-up. And I really want to go to one of these iconic stand-up comedy places that, of course, L.A. is known for. I want to see where the entertainment industry, Hollywood comedy, really is, is all about. And so I went to the Hollywood Improv, and they had this amazing list of comedians. I would have went to go see anybody, honestly. But they had Craig Robinson from The Office, Hot Tub Time Machine, headlining along with David Spade. I said, oh, my goodness. I get to go see Craig Robinson, really funny dude. David Spade, obviously a really funny guy. I'm I'm in. And there were other really good comics on this list as well. And I said, this is a no-brainer. Boom, I'm there. So drive up to the improv, park a couple of blocks away, get in, and it's, you know, it's, it's not that big. There might be 300 seats in the room, maybe 400 seats in the room, but but not not crazy. And I was actually in there a little bit later than I wanted to be because there was a couple of different rooms and they had to shuffle me from one room to the next room. And so I get in there a little bit later. There's basically one seat left because I'm a solo. My wife didn't come out of this trip. So it's just me and I'm sitting next to like at this three-person table with two other people that are on a date. So again, a little awkward, but... Hi, nice to meet you. Here for the show. Sit down, and it ends up being in the second row. So there's the first row of the people at the stage, and I've never wanted to be them. That feels terrifying to me, to be looking up at a comedian who may very well just look down at you and trash you to no end. So I did not want that at all. Second row was also slightly intimidating, but all right. Don't have much of a choice. It's a solo seat. I'm a single. Boom. They put me in this seat, and they go through some of the early comics. Good, not great, but but good. And then they start getting to the more established comics, and, you know, they're really, really funny in person. I mean, just when you have somebody with that energy in front of you telling jokes, the whole crowd is laughing as well. You know, everybody's kind of having a good time, liquored up a little bit. You're just like, wow, this is a great experience. Now, no cameras were allowed in there. You had Basically, silence your phone, no camera, no pictures, no video. So everything that happens in there, you just have you have to tell people and hope that they believe you. So I'm getting ready for David Spade and Craig Robinson. Can't wait for that. But then the MC says, okay, our next stand-up is a guy that actually hasn't done stand-up in a while, but he's working on some stuff. He's going to be hosting the Tonight Show coming up here in a few days, and he's working out some of his act. I'm like, who, who, who could this be? They're hosting the Tonight? Who could this be? And they go, please give it up for Dana Carvey. And I'm going, no effing way. I'm in the second row of the improv in Hollywood, and Dana Carvey is going to be performing? Now, you have that to understand. ridiculous. Like, my childhood is consumed by SNL. And when I'm in my formative years, like 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, is when Wayne's World is the biggest part of SNL. So I am right there imprinted in Dana Carvey's prime of him being perhaps the greatest SNL cast member ever. And we all know his impressions. So... At this point, I have an out-of-body experience, and for the next 15 minutes or so, Dana Carvey is performing, and I can't even laugh. 
because I'm so in awe and in shock. I want to be present and laugh at the content, but I really can't because he's six feet in front of me doing George Bush Sr. He's six feet in front of me doing his Obama, his Trump, his Biden. He's six feet in front of me doing all of the acts and all of the stand-up, and he's just, of course, brilliant. And you just, I couldn't believe it. And so I am totally awkward in this crowd as everybody's laughing, and I'm just standing there, oh, my God. I actually felt my soul come out from my body and my brain pour out my ear. I said, I know it does. if he looks at me, he's going to think I'm, I don't find him funny. And I'm just in awe that he's this close to me. And I had no idea this was going to happen. And then he goes, and I'll take requests before I'm out of here. And somebody yells, chopping broccoli. There's a piano on stage. And he goes, you know what? I actually created chopping broccoli here at the Hollywood Improv when I started in stand-up back in the early 80s. And for those that know, you know, Chop and Broccoli is one of the great sketches in SNL history as he plays a washed up rock star trying to find a hit and can't figure out any lyrics and just leans on this jingle. And my lady, she went downtown. She bought some broccoli. She bought it all. Chopping broccoli, chopping broccoli, she chopping broccoli, chopping broccoli, she chopping broccoli, she chopping broccoli, she chopping does this on stage and again i'm at the point where my soul leaves my body I'm like i'm watching a lot a live rendition of chopping broccoli on stage of the hollywood improv only in hollywood and it had me thinking this has to be what warriors fans felt like when kevin durant came to golden state you've already won a championship you just won 73 games and now we get kevin durant as well okay this has to be like Astros fans in 2017. We're really good. We may win a World Series. Let's trade for Justin Verlander for the hell of it. All right. It's like the Dodgers last year coming off a World Series championship. But at the deadline, add Max Scherzer for the hell of it. Carvey was amazing. Craig Robinson was hysterical. The whole lineup was great. But I actually got to see, out of a shock of all shocks, Dana Carvey perform Chopping Broccoli on stage at the Hollywood Improv. And my whole week was set. I just said it can't get any better than this. Good night now.